Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Longest-running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine, and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along. It's just after 8 o'clock here in the UK and this is Midweek Motorsport. It's Series 13, Episode 32. I'm John Hindhoff and, well, not up in London. Uh, Tim Gray is on his travels tonight but we've still managed to get him on the line. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. Uh, are you allowed to say where you are? I've marched up to the top of the hill. Right. Have you come and, down again uh, yet? At some point, I'll march back down again. Right. That sounds like the Grand Old Duke of York to me, then. Yes. Excellent. Uh, so you are down in York, then? I uh, am. Yes. Uh, nice railway connection oh, there. North. Have you... No, nobody speaks like that. Um, uh, have you been to the Railway Museum? Just as a... I have been to the Railway Museum. I went to the Railway, railway Museum in 1983. And you've not been back since? Well, it's not likely to have changed. They haven't reinvented the steam train. No, but they put new exhibits in. Anyway, on a packed programme tonight, we have... I had to get a train to get to York. Oh, well, that's good. Uh, on a packed programme tonight... To Sunderland. Stop. On a packed programme tonight, we have what? Uh, we have all the usual features. We'll be uh, looking back at the weekend at Silverstone. Right. Uh, we have some Formula One news. We'll be talking about bikes. We'll be talking about some uh, electric things. Uh, light bulbs. Light, always, I like to talk about light bulbs on here. That's very good. And other stuff as well. And other stuff. All right. Let's uh, kick off. Keep the tweets coming in at... Uh, before at before we go, uh, go any further, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I just emphasise that I am not planning to move to New Yorker. Right. And that's significant because... Uh, there was a story last week that uh, Michael Schumacher was going to move to Mallorca. Right, okay. Uh, which was then strenuously denied. So you're not moving there either, in case no. anybody has got you just in, just in case anyone former thought. world champion. Yeah. Right, okay. Uh, let's play the jingle and get into the first story. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Our first story comes from uh, that single-seater series. That would be Formula One, would it? That means that over here, I should fade up our Formula One correspondent, who also isn't with me tonight, Nick Damon. Good evening. Hooray! Oh, it's, it's the wrong feed, really. You kind of need to say hello to me, then say it's Formula One, and I can say hooray the right way. All right, okay. well, well, we'll do this. We'll, t- we'll do this. It'll be fine in post-production, honestly. That's what everybody <laughs> says now in the movies. It'll be fine when we do it in post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, hello, be- Nick. I'll be colour-grading it. Hello, John. Hello, Tim. And our first Hello, story. Nick. And our first story tonight is Formula One. Hooray! Yee, yee, yee. 
Was that really loud to anyone else? Yeah, it was horribly loud. I didn't get to the theatre quick enough. Um, it's been a bit of... Uh, uh, right, sorry, I may be usurping you here, Tim. Are we going to yes, talk you about... Are. All right, I'll let you get on with it. Uh, you're not moving to Mallorca either, are you, Nick? No, not this no. week. You did, uh, you did have a really nice story about Mick Schumacher at the weekend, though. Oh, what, what about how he how he, he he dubbed his dad in? Yes. Uh, okay. So, let, for the, for those who weren't listening, just to pray see the story. Well, um, obviously, well, well, the main reason we were talking about Mick because he was in the three race um, and he won one of the rounds. And very nice chap he is too, by the way, because I was doing the podium for that. Um, what, what when when Michael broke his leg at Silverstone? Another link there. In 1999, he was um, he had to obviously recuperate from his broken leg. And I believe this is Fiona Domicali, who was sort of team manager at the time, phoned up to find out how Michael was doing. Because they're obviously quite keen on on getting him back in the car and, and replacing Mikasali. And Mikasali was doing a good job. And there was, you know, they wanted him to come and help Eddie Irvine's uh, championship challenge. And uh, I think they, they spoke to Michael. And Michael, oh, no, it's not really. Oh, it's a bit. No, it's not really working. And he phoned up and he got he got Mick on the phone. So Mick at that point would have been about what 1999 he'd have been about well, four i think right? like younger perhaps three it'd have um, been five months old nick it wasn't him then ah it, wasn't. it must have been somebody else it must have been, it must have been a um well i i another child that maybe was playing with a cousin or something and this is why i wanted to ask this story because I, I wanted to ask what language this uh, phone conversation between Domenicali and mick schumacher took in took probably, place in. probably the story of urban mythery um, yes. but the thing is this, this, this is a concurrent story in 1999 this, is, this isn't the folklore that's grown up this was something that actually came out at the time I couldn't I, I couldn't remember it was a child answered the phone and obviously we, we, we then usurped that into uh, uh, being um, being Mick but it was a child who answered the phone uh, and obviously I said Uncle Michael therefore I said hey, can I speak to, 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 to Michael Michael Uncle Michael yes we, we've just been playing football what the child said now the unknown ah. child <laughs> Obviously not, the, obviously not also David Schumacher, the son of Ralph, because he'd have been about even younger at that point. Uh, he hadn't been conceived at that point, had he? Oh, I think no. I think there was, no, that probably wasn't happening at that point. And, uh, yeah, so the, the Domenicali came round and, uh, and said, well, if he's good enough to play football, Mike, he's good enough to go back in the car, which is why he had to go back and, back to, back and race and support Eddie, which obviously, whilst he tried to be gracious about, he wasn't that keen on the chance of Eddie becoming the first Ferrari champion in 20 years. Uh, but luckily it didn't happen for him. Uh, yes. Stefano Domenicali does speak German, though, because he used to work for the DTM. This is, this is the, it's, it's good to see that, that CSI Tim in York has been has been on this one and debunked a story that only had one error in it, and that's it's based on the wrong person entirely. I'm, I'm bored with it now, though. Can we actually get some current news rather than something that happened in the last century? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> and wasn't true anywhere. I think it's true. I do think I think this is a true story. I think just is the the person who answers the phone is is now indeterminate. Si- uh, significant errors in the uh, in the evidence now, though. I don't think turn that to facts. It's fine. Mm, not sure about that now. Don't think don't think it'd be in the public interest to try and get a, uh, any kind of conviction there. Uh, let's move on to actual news then, Tim. Where do you want to start? Truth with Truth isn't truth anymore. Well, that's true, or not. <laughs> Can we start with Carlos Sainz, please? Ah, yes, Carlos Sainz. Now, now I seem to remember somebody on this programme, and I am going to gloat here, because it was me, saying Carlos Sainz is going to go to McLaren, Nick. Yeah. Well, and I was, I was laughed at. Uh, no, you weren't. 
well, I was. He was by me. It wasn't by me <laughs> because because the, the thing is the the reason we didn't really bother talking about Fernando last week because it was really our international not surprised face. We've said for I think I've been saying he's giving up since three races into this race. You've agreed with me actually for a while. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he's carrying on, he's left the door open. And everything else. Um, the 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 interesting thing about picking up uh, Carlos, which is a, a, you know it makes makes sense. He's one of the fastest drivers available. He's he's good midfield, which is all that McLaren are. Is is the fact that obviously that you wonder what sort of horse trading has gone on uh, between Red Bull and McLaren and anything else that Red Bull might want? Because of course there's something else that Red Bull has that McLaren wants, uh, and that is um, James Key, who's currently tied down at Very Toro Rosso. Point. Very good so, point. It's the, the 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 question is what what are Toro Rosso getting out of all this? Um, and you you, know, you think well, there's, there's a couple of things they might want. They might they might want you know Lando Norris. They might want to have uh, Van Dorn perhaps over at Toro. Of course, with the promotion of Pierre Gasly, which I know we're going to come on. To, uh, there are now no drivers um, uh, currently in favour and likely to drive for Toro Rosso. They, you know, Brendan might stay, but obviously everyone's, everyone's convinced he's going to get replaced. You know, four races ago, so. What Toro Rosso is short of, despite the fantastic uh, Red Bull uh, pit staircase of confusion, um, is actually any drivers. Um, because the only driver they really have they want to get into the into the, into Toro Rosso is Dan Tickton, who also won a race in Formula 3 at the weekend. But he's not going to get enough super license points at the end of the year. He can't do it. Even if he wins F3, he will not have enough super license points. And the reason he hasn't got enough super license points is because he's served a two-year ban for... Uh, reckless driving or a brush of blood to the head anyway and uh, I'm pretty sure that the, the, the FIA would be quite mm... it's a one year ban I think for Tickton well, sorry. Yes. Sorry, sorry one year ban but that's the reason he's got the point is, and so, and you can't see the FIA wanting to make an exception is it really because it kind of belittles the punishment um, yeah, yeah, but the point. there's no witch hunt it, it's just a case you have to think how legal things work so there is a fact that Toro Rosso needs some drivers and um, McLaren have two um, Van Dorm, who no one really knows is he good is he bad is he indifferent because he A um, rubbish cars and B being uh, under the um, other heavy presence of Alonso both in terms of the fact that Alonso is very very good and also Alonso had the entire team around him uh, or working for him or desperate to uh, to appease him perhaps might be closer so yeah it's, it's, it's all swings around but science is a, is a good enough uh, challenge I mean there's a, there's, a, there's a shadow of thought now that S Van Ocon might well go to uh, McLaren. His place, obviously, in uh, Force India won't be around any longer because Lance Stroll will obviously take that one. And, um, and then there will be two spaces at Williams. But who wants those is the, is the question you have to ask. The good news, Ocon will be more obvious because of the um, engines. The good news for McLaren is having another Spaniard in means they won't have to change the menu so much, which is great. You know, And, the, and you know, the same flag. So, you know, they can save yeah. a bit of money there. and Still haven't got any sponsorship, so they do need to save money, uh, Nick. Well, they have saved a load of money straight away, but not having to pay um, uh, Fernando's wages. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's um, it's it's a kind of like a driver who's good in the midfield goes to a team that might be good in the midfield. If you actually analyse it, you take out the names, you take out the fact that he's replacing Alonso, you take out the fact that he's a more rage having you take out the fact that it's McLaren it's, it effectively is midfield driver transfers to midfield team so not a huge story really but nope. nice to say that we got it right before anybody else was talking about it uh, what else Tim well staying with McLaren uh, Lando Norris will be doing the Friday free practice sessions this weekend yeah. at Spa and more is that a clue well more interestingly he's replacing Alonso 
So he's taking Alonso's car for the for this particular one, which is uh, I mean not, not much Fernando can say really. A he knows his way around Spa, and B he's leaving anyway. Um, no, they're, they're, they're continuing the evaluation process. I mean, I think as far as Norris is concerned, he, he started the season very very well in GP2, and it's got to be a bit more of a struggle since then. I think I'm not sure whether he's necessarily gone gone off form, or the fact that actually the people around him are a little bit better than they expected. Um, um, do, do we I actually, think, Nick? I actually met George Russell weekend as well, by the way. Well, I was going to ask you he's about George. Nice to as well, I was going to ask you about George, but he's on the Mercedes side of things, isn't he? Yes, um, I, never, I never get the word reserve and test mixed up with George Russell. So mm, I made a, made a terrible ooh. mistake there when he went on to the, uh, the to present the trophy for the F3S. Because yeah, I said, George Russell, the test driver. I'm the reserve. Okay, sorry. So next time I said, very clearly, he was the reserve driver, um, and he was happy about that. It's got very nice eyelashes. Uh, um, I have a question, serious question here about McLaren. Will Alonso complete the season, or do you think that they'll just gradually, you know, ease him out and and get someone else in? Maybe oh, give no. Lando Norris no, a run. No, he'll complete the season okay. because he's their best chance for for pulling points out. I'm sure pretty much that he will want to go out with the with the best bang and the least whimper he can. And I'm sure he'll have at least more five of his best race ever's TM. Uh, before the end, so no, that isn't going to happen. I think the, the Norris test is very key. They want to see what the, obviously uh, McLaren want to see what he's doing. I'm sure Toro Rosso want to see what he's doing um, to see. You know, really, is, is he going to make the, the leap up? He is. He is quite. He's young. Uh, I know not by Verstappen terms, but by everyone else's terms. He's also, as we said before, he's a slight lad and he's still filling out. So. Yeah. You know, he's one of these guys who may actually benefit from two years in GP2. Doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get them. And obviously, unfortunately, their ambition sometimes means they don't take the sensible um, path. Tim, uh, feel I free to move on. Don't believe that Lando will do a second year in GP2. I think he'll be in Formula One next year. Uh, I'm just I'm not convinced. I just don't know which team he'll be with. I, su- I suspect that McLaren may have uh, him. Uh, Put out to another team. What well, go out uh, on loan, and, basically? Yes, okay. uh, because I think they'll want to keep the consistency of Stoffel Van Dorn. Do you want to talk about? Uh, do you want to? Do you want to talk about Gasly now? Yes. Oh well, G- Gasly, he was held in very high, high respect by the Red Bull management. Did you, did you hear about my interview with um, Adrian Newey? On yes. The I was being a bit cheeky. I said, "So the major change next year is you've got to write Pierre on the side of the car," and he said, "Just another employee." <laughs> <laughs> very good very good uh, so again um, were we surprised about Gasly moving over ever since he was a small boy no, Tim that that was that was least surprising of anything mm. so he's yeah, he might, I mean it's interesting one thing you do see you can see really how um, luck is so key in many drivers um, careers because Gasly just happened to be at Toro Rosso at the correct time there happened to be an opening in the, um, you know, it could have been that if Ricardo had signed, there'd be no opening at, at uh, Red Bull for two more years. And then he'd been knocking his heels around for at least three seasons in Toro Rosso, may even yeah. be replaced by somebody else. It's a, that, I mean, I'm not saying that Gassi's good, bad or indifferent. He's obviously got some talent, but his actual results, which is a, a decent performance in Bahrain, I mean, they were, they were good somewhere else as well. And the rest of the time has been pretty much, yeah, one, it, it is the, wouldn't necessarily, when you put him into it, promote him into into the you know what could theoretically be worse, the third best seat in the uh, in, in the, uh, in, the, in the on the grid. Tim, 
It is the uh, Sebastian Buemi and uh, Jean-Éric Verne scenario uh, that Nick's talking about, that uh, they were at Toro Rosso and there wasn't uh, an opening at Red Bull for them, and uh, they just uh, got moved on. Apparently, Jean-Éric Verne says he's had had some offers. Yes, he has. Yes, he has. He said that, sorry. I I read that too. There's worse worse moves. Way worse moves for Toro Rosso to, to to invite him back in again, but I'm not overly sure that relationship hasn't completely broken down uh, between uh, Verne and Red Bull. And obviously, these things can get mended by by cash, apology, and F1 drive. I'm not even sure whether Johnny Verne wants a midfield F1 drive. To be honest, um, you know he's been there, he's done that. There's no indication that Red Bull are going to be, say that Toro Rosso are going to be any any further up than they were when he was there four years ago. But um, yeah, I I have a sneaking suspicion that if the phone call was to come and the numbers were right, then he would go. And I, you and I, Nick, have spoken to enough drivers, and Tim the same as well, but I mean, I've heard you talking to drivers in the pit lane before. So, uh, you know, they've got a good drive in another formula, uh, often sometimes a factory drive, and then you ask them the question, so is that it for Formula 1? Oh, no, 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 I always want to leave... I always want to leave my options open. I would go back if, I, and you know, whether that's on the mic live or whether it's what they say afterwards, you know for a fine fact that if he gets the call, he'll go back. I think you're right. You're probably right, John. You, you are, you, you, for once, you've taken over Chief Cynic from me, and I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else has been happening in uh, the Formula One? Uh, can I, uh, here's another question, actually, before Tim. Um, throws a, another, I know, throws another nugget in. How come all of these people um, have been, all of these deals have been done when nobody's allowed to uh, be on their computers and answer emails or, or do any work? There are the factories that are shut. And as you know, if you, if you, marketing and driver relations are never included in that and they're not included in things like the, the cost cap either. Right. Okay. So your driver salaries, you're know, still allowed to have lots and lots of chats about, you know, what colour, the uh, the hoarding should be outside the pit lane, and and obviously at no point in that conversation we discuss any ideas uh, for development of the car. Okay. That would never happen. No, of course, that never happen. Uh, you're listening no, to Midweek. Sorry, Nick. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport on RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited network of channels. I'm John Hindoff. Nick Damon is our Formula One correspondent. He's on the line from the very epicentre of the carbon fibre triangle. Uh, Tim Gray, our executive producer, not up in London this week, but down in York, and goes where next? Are we staying with Formula One? We are going to stay with Formula One, definitely. Uh, hospitality also not included uh, in the shutdown. They're allowed to uh, continue to uh, talk about hospitality. Are they allowed to put those new tea trays in the uh, in the wind tunnel just to make sure that they get dried properly? Oh, absolutely. That's that's the only thing they can use a wind tunnel for, drying things that may have gotten wet. Yes, OK. Moving on. Sergei uh, Sorokin. Yes. A suggestion that he might stay at Williams. Is oh. he... Is- Really? I mean, obviously, they, they say a fool and his money are easily parted, but easily parted twice? Um, they can, if he wants to stay in F1, he's not going to go anywhere else. So, I suppose, if... Uh, he's not going to Toro Rosso, then? No. If his Russian backers believe that Williams are likely to improve, and they believe that they are getting F1 value for the investment they're making in Sergio's, Sergio's career, then I'm pretty sure he probably will stay, because Williams are obviously going to lose Lance Stroll. They, they, they need some sort of um, continuity. continuity. And, and people are not really beating a a path their door at the moment um, with vast 
swages of cash. So um, Sergio wants to carry on paying for his drive. He, in fairness, I couldn't tell you if he's good, bad or indifferent. I have no idea. Is it, I mean, Tim, do you think he's been good, bad or indifferent this year? What do you think? Uh, can I say indifferent? Is that indifferent in indifferent in a good way or indifferent because of what the cards he's been he's been thrown? I think there's so little evidence that you can't really make any judgments, can you? I agree. No, no. it's it, it, it's a complete situation where you have no idea. He's obviously not. He's he's not awful, and he's not a superstar. But then, in fairness, if you actually look at the current grid, I don't think anyone's awful in the F1 grid anymore. Which is good news, and there's what with with maximum three superstars, and I'd say only two. So he's he's somewhere between rank number three and rank number twenty, but I couldn't tell you where. And you're you making that judgment, gentlemen, based on the fact that the car has been team awful Williams this year, and therefore, yeah. Tim, that um, you you just haven't got enough data on which to base a sensible. Uh, a, a sensible and objective uh, decision. Correct. Right. Okay. And also, I mean, the car's unstable. So when you see him always oh, throwing it off the track, you don't know if he has thrown it off the track or the car's thrown itself off the track. Yes. You know, it's it, you, normally you think, well, this driver's doing okay because of lap times. Well, the thing's dog slow. They think this driver's doing okay because he's driving really sensibly. But we can't tell because if it falls off the track, was it him? Was it the car? Um, yes, true. And you don't know how hard he's having to work and how well, much he's let, having let me, to compromise. Yeah. Also, give you an example. At the start of the season, Charles Leclerc, we all now agree is a real thing, was having a bit of a dodgy time with the Sauber because that was also a little bit unstable uh, and was throwing itself off the track and he was having to overdrive it slightly. Once they got a handle on the car and the setup on the car, which in all fairness to Sam um, Collins, exactly what Sam said was their problem during testing. Yes. Once they got the handle on it, he was actually had a platform which to show his talent. So, you know, it's, it's not... It's not even the situation of 15 years ago when the Minardi was safe but slow. So you could tell how good someone was by how much better they were than their Minardi teammate and how close they were to the two-second gap that normally was. Because mm. this thing's not safe. And it's also strangely slower in some places than others. So, you know, that's that's my fear. So I, I absolutely, I mean, I know it's not something you can do at the cost involved with F1, but I would completely give Sorokin a pass on this season. Mm. Uh, I've got three names of people who might join him there. Right, right go for it. Uh, Robert Kubica mm. has no money. That's right. the problem. Right, okay. Next name George Russell has money from Mercedes. Mercedes. Yes, like that. Next will be GP2 champion, sorry, Formula 2 champion, yeah, probably. Uh, probably. But he's had a good enough season. I think he's shown enough. Uh, in, and yeah, I haven't I think, seen I all the races, but all the races I've seen, he's been pretty good in them. He's also been lucky. He's not suffered from the uh, clutch problems that some yes. of the other drivers uh, have had. And they do claim that they fixed the clutch problem, although drivers I've spoken to suggest they may not have done. Third name? Third time they claim they fixed that clutch problem. Third name. The, the third name uh, is someone who was linked with Williams at the end of last season, but there have been two things that have happened this year that may have seen him fall off the radar, and that's Pietro Fittipaldi. Yes. Yeah. But is, I, I, isn't there not a fourth one there as well? Cause You're thinking of Esteban? Esteban's got to go somewhere. Hmm. 
So I think Pietro Ferrara, Fittipaldi, I think unfortunately he's had the momentum taken out of his career by that accident for a year or so, so he's going to try and build it back up again. Does he come with money, though? Fittipaldi? Yes. Yes, loads of Brazilian petrol money. Mm. Well, they've, had, they've had Brazilian petrol money before, so... Yes, good point, good point. But Ocon well, is... Claire Williams says she has a plan. Yes. Yeah, Ocon... but that does... I mean, that's the same level of plan you know, we get from Tony Robinson, so I wouldn't really back that very far. Uh, Baldrick, he means, from uh, uh, from Blackadder. Um, is yes. Look it up if you're not sure of the, the cultural reference, dear listener. Um, Ocon does have to go somewhere, Nick. Um, and, does he, though? Well, Could he not stay at Force India alongside Stroll? No, because apparently... Um, uh, the statement is that Perez has an option for next year, which is on his side entirely. Hence the reason he put him into administration. Plus, plus, well, hmm. well, he didn't do that as we spoke. And, and he brings lots of money. Well, uh, he he is being painted as the saviour, so it would be bad PR to get rid of him. What, whatever the truth of of what went on there, and you know, we know it was Her Majesty's. Uh, Revenue and Customs, who issued the winding up order uh, to uh, to set that whole thing in motion, but he's been painted. Perez has been painted as the as the knight in shining Nomex, and uh, mm. uh, to give the alternative of of closing the place down, it, it would appear to be somewhat churlish, would it not, to then kick him out? I strapped Formula One. Anything could happen. Who brings he's, the he's, most money of those two, Tim and Nick? Well, rather, he's, he's good enough, and he's a reliable finisher, and he's someone who'll be loyal to the team and stay with the team. So, or you have Ocon, who's just looking at the springboard for something else, and kind of rather than bringing actual money, just brings a discount on the engines. And don't forget, the engines supplied by Mercedes have to, by FI regulation, be the same as the ones in the works cars. There's not even this, this horse train that used to go along when we had, had works engines back in the, the 2000s where you'd be X races behind the works team and, you know, by, by being nice to them, you could get a bit closer. They have to be the same. There's not even any, any up your arm you can do there from, from total. Even the price of the engines has to be agreed. So there's, apart from that, they can give them cash um, or a discount on the engines. That's all there is. Did you and, say Toyota there? No. All right. Sorry. <laughs> A strange line. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm so gonna, I'm going I'm to object to me saying this, and then I'm going to withdraw that objection. Okay, that seems reasonable. More on that in a little while. Midweek Motorsports, Formula One at the moment. Are we about done on Formula One, Tim? Uh, it's just one more avenue I want to explore right, in Formula make, One. Make it quick. Uh, teammate for Sebastian Vettel. Yes. Kimi or Charles? Oh, that's good because that's who. Do you know what? Don't know. That's all meandered around. Kimi Raikkonen, who I think has taken on board my stinging criticism of him in the in the, uh, in the Midweek Motorsport um, uh, preview of F1, because I'm sure it's the first thing he listens to in the morning, um, has put in a very solid uh, number two driver season um, and is uh, scoring lots and lots of podiums, but not actually beating uh, Sebastian. Exactly um, the right thing to do. Likes him a lot. And the question is, do we put in the young charger? Um, who will upset Sebastian when we think we might have a chance of winning? It's um, a good question. I think most, I think any team other than Ferrari would put Leclerc in, but Ferrari are a rule unto themselves, and I don't think, I think the, the, the um, very sad situation with Sergio Marchioni, I think also clouded the issue a bit more, 
And I genuinely, if you were going to go down to your favourite local bookmaker, they should both, but well, they wouldn't be because the bookmakers don't do it this way, but they should both be evens. <laughs> they, well, one thing we do know about uh, one of those two drivers who definitely listens to us, and that's Charles. Because he does! It was brilliant, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Tis I, Leclerc, as he put out. Uh, on Instagram. On, and Twitter, yeah. Twitter as well. I wonder, I wonder who pointed him to that, that bit. And does, he, and does he know that Tim's been doing it for, what, three seasons now? Four years? Like that. He started. And at the weekend, I am reliably informed that uh, after the good result for our friend Hope in Tongue, he said, does that mean you're going to play my song again on Wednesday? <laughs> so we will. Wow. I think we should, absolutely. When we get round to WEC. Um, later in the show. Later in the show. Uh, any more F- F1 then? Uh, well, the follow-up question to that, obviously, is if Ferrari choose Charles, yep. does Kimi go to Sauber? Where else uh, would he go? Well, the bigger, bigger question is, does, does Ericsson stay at Sauber? Yes. Because that now is a very attractive seat. Ericsson is, is batting the own half the team. They're not allowed for a male part of it. So that's that's the question. Um, I don't know. Kimi... Can he want to go to Sauber? Does he like F1 that much? I know he likes money, but he's like F1 that much? Do I... I don't think he does. Round? I know, think I think Kimmy's nice had an absolutely man. stunning season this year. Uh, no, he's not stunning because he's, 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 he's loused up a number of opportunities, especially in qualifying. He has done a good... He's done he's the experienced well. driver who's pretty quick. Yeah. But he, she, if he hadn't made so many errors in, in FP3, he would have been starting a lot further up. And don't forget, he's Good the point. only driver not to have gained a position in two years at the start, on the first lap. I think a year and a half. He hasn't gained a position in the first lap. Right, so, so if not, he doesn't go... starting well. Right, so, so if he doesn't go to Sauber, is he out of Formula One then? I would think so, though. I'm sure he will get offers. So, you know, that which is probably one of the things that's interesting. It's like wrong with... F1. If a, if a 37 or 38 year old leaves uh, one of the top teams because um, he's been there and he's kind of that, that we really shouldn't be offering. We should be trying to get some, some younger drivers in at the bottom. But, you know, we just don't have those feeder teams anymore. And, and, and also, F1 is, you know, a lot of teams who might be called feeders are pushing against it. Uh, who else has Ferrari engines then? Who else could he go to? Haas. Yes, exactly. No, yeah, exactly. it won't happen. Uh, Kevin's in there for good, and uh, and, and if uh, Roman continues his upswing, he'll be fine as well. So that's uh, that's Formula One done. Are we going to get rid of uh, Nick now, Tim, or shall we keep him? I'll keep him very briefly to talk about some bikes. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, it's yeah, pretty but... super bikes at the weekend, wasn't it? Look, but uh... they, were at, they were at the mountain, which is not a mountain. Cadwell. Uh, Cadwell Park. I love Cadwell Two more Park. wins for Leon Haslam. Extends his championship lead. Had to fight a bit but for it. When does the things? When does the? When does the um, race to chase the cup? For the thing start after Silverstone, I think, or maybe it's at Silverstone. Uh, Silverstone's, Silverstone's next. Ninth of September, isn't it? Yeah, two weeks time. Right. Okay. Um, I I I watched a bit of that uh, yesterday on repeat and. Thoroughly enjoyed. Great crowd. Great crowd again. Um, British Superbikes Cup runneth over at the moment and uh, loved it. And I absolutely loved it. First race with a little bit of uh, dampness with the white and red cross flag out there, um, which made things a bit, a bit uh, more difficult. And then second race, 
Haslam's looking good. He's having a good scrap with Dixon, though, in the second race, which it, I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching. Um, and, and World Superbikes, no, not World Superbikes, MotoGP are back uh, this weekend coming as well, Nick, at uh, the GoPro British Grand Prix at Silverstone. I wonder what, what time is that race starting? Are they trying to avoid um, the Spa F1? Are they going earlier or later? Oh, I, earlier. I don't, I don't they, know. They, they always they have tried to avoid these same time zone events, but because the F1 calendar is now so massive, in fairness, so the most GP is expanding. They have got a couple of these overlaps. Yes, yeah, so they're at Silverstone for the uh, so the perhaps the bike riders can now complain about the track surface, which was laid for them um, after the car the uh, the, uh, the uh, sports car was moaned incessantly about the track surface. Um, uh, and of course, go on, carry on. We still have uh, another nine and a half years for World Superbikes to come back for the longest ever summer break. Uh, that's timetable Sunday, the 26th of August. Let's have a look. Uh, Moto, it's 1300 minutes. Yeah, because it's because the don't forget the F one starts at ten past two now. Oh yes, good uh, point. UK, UK time, so, time. It'll so it'll be so over. So it'll be over. So they have, they have shifted it. Right. Yes, yeah, so that means that Moto three starts at twenty past eleven UK time, and Moto two is after Moto GP. That's what they've done. That's not until half past two. So it's Moto two that's on right in the middle of the Grand Prix. All right at the start of the, the Grand Prix from Spa. Uh, okay, so looking forward. To, whose track is that? Obviously not Yamaha's. <laughs> um, well, no, there's no track that's Yamaha's at the moment. Um, I think that it's, in a, it's a Honda uh, track. We started the last couple of years. So, of course, what, we, what might help is a bit of rain. Um, though, obviously, the UK appears to be set fair at the moment and, and, and just really upsetting all the cliches. Uh, it's probably blazing sunshine again. Or snowing. That's true. Yes. Shall we stay with Silverstone and keep Nick a bit, even a bit longer? Nick, Nick, Nick was at Silverstone at the weekend. I, 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 I do have a question for you, Nick. On Sunday, yeah, gone. Were the Toyotas racing on a different circuit to all the other competitors? Well, it's interesting you should say that because yes. I, I remember watching them. Um, certainly, they were in the same pit lane, and they were definitely on the same uh, dummy grid. And definitely, when I was sticking my head out of the the, um, the the gaps in the pit wall, watching the cars go round, they were there as well. I can't personally guarantee that at the back part of the circuit, they weren't going on a completely different track that no one else knew about. And this is because the Toyotas won by a couple of laps, but then didn't... Four. Uh, four, four laps, sorry. Uh, but then didn't pass post-race tech. Uh, upholding a fine tradition of manufacturer cars yes. uh, who have uh, failed the Planck test. Uh, not, out- not just manufacturers as well. Three out of the last four Silverstone work races have had someone disqual- one or more cars disqualified for this. The, uh, and this was uh, the underfloor plank. Uh, Audi befell the same problem at, in 2016 and handed the race to Porsche, which uh, was significant as far as the championship's concerned. Less significance here. Uh, the word came through yesterday on Tuesday that Toyota won't appeal. But frankly, um, we could have said that because there's nothing you can appeal. It's a black and white offence. The only thing you could appeal is the way that it was measured, the measuring equipment, or the flat patch not being flat that it was measured on. So yeah. the the offence, yeah. you can't you can't appeal it. it it's absolute. I, I, obviously, I was working 
um, in another place. And I didn't get to hear much of it. But it just so happens that I tuned in in between sessions at Virginia. And as I tuned in, about, oh, about a minute and a half, two minutes after I tuned in, we had team radio on the broadcast from Toyota talking about a problem for the plank on one of the cars. So, I mean, they, they knew that this was a problem. So, I mean, did it change massively between... They have four hours and a bit of four hours of practice and qualifying. Did the track change, Nick, between no. then and the race? No. no they, they, they obviously, the, the interesting thing is that, I mean, we mentioned Tim mentioned, of course, that Carl's happy disqualified in the previous race. But don't those previous races were all the first race of the season with new cars. So oh, you're that's kind a of going, very oh, good what point. What am I going to do? I don't know, I'm quite sure. And, and you can kind of go, no, I can see you can make a mistake. This is, you know, third race in, and after a six hour at a no, not not a billion t- table smooth track in, in Spa, another one. I, it, 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 what except, the real except the, the, Nick, reason- there was one thing that was different here, and for the first time this season. Toyota were using their high downforce aero package. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. I think they've, they've obviously just made a, made a ride height um, miscalculation. Because let's be really, really honest about this. You could jack those things up 10 centimetres and they'd still win. Um, <laughs> I think that's know, a they, slight exaggeration, but your point is well you made. Could put one those, you could put one of those comedy kind of, you know, um, compressor things they have with the uh, in uh, in California and have the thing dancing around two wheels at a time and it would still win. Um <laughs> Porsche is still trying, in fairness, but you think, well, that's just ridiculous. You know, you, you've got that this massive margin; just ease it back. But you know, it's it's everyone makes mistakes. Toyota have made a, a mistake; they paid for it. It won't happen again now. And I think it was a bit churlish to try and blame the track because everyone's going, "No, you got your setup wrong, love. Nothing, nothing changed. You had plenty of running, both with full tanks and, and not full tanks. You're going the same speed. The track didn't change." You just got it wrong. They were pushing very hard, Tim, breaking lap records and things like that. And, th- and this is part of, you know, Toyota have got to do this. We, we sort of said earlier on in the season, they're rather damned if they do and damned if they don't. If they don't will it win at a canter, then everybody's going to go, ooh, that's a bit dodgy. And when they do, everybody goes, well, of course, that's what we expected to happen. So I, I do feel for them a little bit, but it does seem as though they're pushing the boat out, or at least at the weekend, they pushed the boat out a little further than the end of the dock before they jumped into it. Uh, Tim, point they from did you. Also, they did also do a nose change, uh, which raised some suspicions. And Nick actually went to the pit wall to speak to Pascal Vassalon mid-race. Mm, they, they, well, so we, we, they, they were changing noses, and they were saying there wasn't a problem, but they were looking at the nose. You know, how you, you know when you change something cause just because you're doing a setup change? You don't then stare at it for five minutes, do you? You just go, no. oh, I've they stared at it for a long time and, and fiddled about them and, and Bastion just said it was because they were suffering from oversteer they were I mean the, the point about it is it's this ability to do things now because you can do anything you want whilst the fuel's going in kind of gives them extra um, extra things to, to fiddle fid- with fiddle with and, and you did kind of think there was some, there was some over fiddling going on for example I think um, one of the rebellions had a decided to change the rear deck and they didn't put it on properly and had to come back and do a second stop. Um, remember, what Howden, remember what Howden Haynes said uh, on Mobile One Radio Le Mans? He said, oh, I'm so pleased we didn't have that when we were doing it because we would have had the aerodynamics going. Ah, yes, we need to try bodywork set number 24 where we've moved the louvres two millimetres one way or another. Uh, you know, it, it's the law of unintended consequences of... Uh, what what Nick and Tim are talking about is in the uh, until this season, the pit stops 
in WEC and at Le Mans, you couldn't do anything when you were fueling the car. Now you can. You can change the tyres uh, and you can do other stuff as well. And what this has done, it, first of all, I'm still going to say I think that's a bad rule. It's been made worse by the fact, and, and where I'm going with this is quite a few people have said, well, Toyota taking the mick here and it's, you know, uh, it's having a... Uh, it's having an influence on what's going on. It's Toyota's job to identify and exploit loopholes in the rules. This was a badly written set of regulations that left something as a mile wide in that it's not only Toyota's job to identify it, it's it's their job to exploit it. It is absolutely their job to exploit it. Don't blame Toyota for that. Blame the people who wrote the rules, which is the technical department of the ACO. Tim, question from you. Are we going to see in the future teams, when it gets dark at Le Mans, going for a completely different body? It's what Toyota did this year. Because they can. It's what Toyota did this year. It's exactly what Toyota did this year. They went from a, um, a daytime setup on the noses to a nighttime setup on the noses. And the tails, they've changed. What, because it's quicker, Tim, to change the whole thing rather than to make a wing change, they were changing the rear deck. Yeah. Nick, you saw that all the time. You, yeah, yeah. you can't swap bodywork between the low downforce and the high downforce setup, or at least you're not supposed to. You're allowed two iterations, two homologations, but you can't swap and mix and match them. That's not that's against the rules. So you have a set for the meeting, and you declare it, and that's it, and that's what you use. But what Toyota were doing, if memory serves, Nick, and I think you were watching them doing this, was a, a pretty much every stop, or at least every other stop, they were making slight wing changes and it was actually easier and quicker just to take one tail off and put another one on than it was to adjust the, the, the wing pieces themselves. Yeah, it's, it's the same basic design, but obviously you've got to attack angles of, of both louvres and, and, and wing angles in the nose and, and the various wing and um, little bits and bobs of, um, of uh, air modulation on the on the tail as well I and mean, it makes perfect sense you're allowed to do it they you know they they it's certainly as the temperature goes down you get a bit more energy more downforce you can just trim it out and go faster um it's a rule that needs to be is, i don't know if it'll ever happen but it's a, it's a rule i think that needs to be rescinded um at the end of the super season because i think it's a well it's a, a simple it's, it's a simple one now um we'll, we'll get on to the the rest of um what happened in terms of calendar and we might even um, I'm I'm waiting even at this late point I'm waiting for um, the WEC to get back to us and see if we can uh, have a chat with someone from WEC management about the calendar Um, the um, it's a simple rule to get round Um, the the reason that the change was made if again if I remember correctly was and I quote people kept telling us our pit stops looked too slow said WEC management um, well, all you've got to do is say, all right, fuel and tyres together, but nothing else. Because the reason that people are doing this now, Nick, is because if you'd done it before and you took the tail off, or you'd even tried to change the angle of the tack on the wing, you wouldn't have been able to do that till after you'd finished fueling. So you'd be adding all of that time onto your pit stop, wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. I mean, so, I mean, yeah, perhaps they, they wanted to look, you know, I still don't think it needs to be changed, but, you know, yeah, perhaps they want to not have it in a stage format because people, and these people are, um, then, yeah, you just say it's tyres only. It, it can go back to what it was before, where you're allowed to change drivers, you're allowed to clean the screen um, and the lights, and, yeah, so tyres only, and anything else requires, um, you know, um, a, a separate um, moment after the fuel hoses come out. 
they, they can't quite just do anything, though, Tim, can they? Because the, there are other restrictions that prevent them from taking the car apart and putting it Well, <laughs> prevent them from taking the car apart there's, and putting it back together again quickly. Yeah, there, there's still only four people allowed to work on the car during a pit stop. And we saw a team fall foul of that during the race where... Uh, we think more than four people pushed it back into the garage when it needed to go back in the garage. Uh, but there's, if you're having to change tyres and refuel, there's a limit to what you can do with just four people. Yes. If you're wanting to do everything at the same time. Yeah, you can't do everything, but I'm pretty certain you can change all four tyres using two people within the, within the time frame of the fuel flow. Forget, they've slowed down the fuel flow as well. Correct. It's taking yeah. longer. Even with Do they the still tanks. have to have so one man who's holding a fire extinguisher all he's, the time? Uh, he's, he doesn't count. He doesn't count. He's at an angle behind the line. It's four over the line. Um, the uh, and It only takes two people to take a body panel off because that's how they design it and they're so light nowadays. Can we... Uh, right, so, Toyota out, nul point for them. Congratulations to Thomas Laurent, Matthias Bess and Gustavo Menezes. Uh, the Rebellion number three wins the race by, uh, I think, a lap, wasn't it, in the end, uh, over its team car. And that also promotes SMP Racing to third position. First time in a long time that we've had a privateer uh, winning overall in a WEC race. In fact, it might be the first time ever in the current. It's the first ever time in WEC. Yeah. In the current, in, yes, in the yes, in the, yes. in the WEC as the WEC, and not the ILMC. Yes, that's absolutely right. Uh, in LMP2, uh, the battle there came down to just a couple of seconds at the line between Jackie Chan's two cars, Jackie Chan DT Racing, 38 and 37 car with. The Signatech Alpine Matmut car, the number 36, coming in in third position. Uh, so well done to Raquelmi, Aubrey, and Hoping Tum. <laughs> so I told you we'd get that in. Well done. Yeah. Uh, and in GT, bit of a return to form and performance by Aston Martin. All right, they uh, didn't win the race. That came down to Alessandro Pergidi and James Collado for AF Corsa and Ferrari. Great run for them uh, with the uh, home team of Harry Tinknell and uh, Andy Prio coming second for Ford Chip Ganassi UK. Porsche in third and Aston Martin racing in fourth, which they seem to be quite delighted with. That was in the uh, um, in the pro part. Uh, and in fact, Aston Martin's return to form um, was... And their never say die attitude was, I think, the reason why the Aston Martin Racing team as a whole got the Spirit of the Race award. So that was quite good. ELMS, Nick, how was, was that? A, was a, it was a cracking little race. Certainly, the last hour was brilliant. Um, we had. Um, Carl... I, I, can I argue? Okay. I would say only the last hour was brilliant. I think the first three hours were uh, pretty dull. Yeah, but I mean, in fairness, I think in an endurance race, you, you kind of expect to get 20 minutes at the start that's all action, and you expect it to settle down for a bit and then see what's going to happen next. Um, and it did have a very good last hour. I mean, we had um, the, the P2s were all over the shop in their, in their strategy, and we didn't know who was to come where. I mean, we had a few of them uh, right at the last minute doing splash and dashes, which is always fun. Um, and then, of course, we had the... Uh, the, the the all eyes were on the GTE battle because we had two Ferraris duking it out with um, 
uh, the JMW Ferrari and um, Spirit of Race. Is it with Matt Griffin? I know Matt was driving. Is he, I think he's, if he's Spirit of Race, he is Spirit of Race. Um, and then a, a while away, it was um, it was the pros and competition. So it looked like a, a simple Ferrari one-two battle. And then both of them, both those two cars got 10-second penalties for, for uh, track limits. So all of a sudden, even though it's eight seconds behind, um, the proton competition was in the lead, and then the JMW Ferrari got past the uh, got past the Spirit of Race. So, it, it, and then it started to stretch itself. When the last lap, um, it, uh, we didn't see it, but it said that uh, Matt Griffith managed to um, uh, slow the proton competition Porsche just enough, so it finished ten point one seconds behind uh, uh, Miguel Molina in the JMW machine. So he won by point one of a second um, on adjusted times um, with the proton competition, which the um, uh, oh, it's, uh, it's Caroli, wasn't it? Who was driving that one? Right. Um, Very good. The road. Um, and it was great. It was great. It, it was really up in the air, and they had a really, really good last. Day. They last forty-five minutes. It was what you want, you know. Um, decent crowd, it seemed to be. I, I mean, you I, know, I see. Now I've read that the crowd was um, the whole weekend uh, attendance was up a bit on last year. Yeah, but I, I, but I wasn't there last year, so I can't repair it from two years ago. It's yeah. down on two years ago. And there I, was, and the there were far it, more people there on Saturday than there had been last year. This is non-scientific, but the fact was, we rocked, we rocked up on Sunday, Sunday morning, and it looked busy as anything. But they were all the diehards looking to get to their spaces, looking for the, for the um, uh, you know, the, the, the idea and the pit walk. And I don't even remember but from the from the booth, you can see the the cars streaming into the car park, can't you? I remember commenting to you a couple of years ago, it was just a constant stream of cars, constant yes, stream of cars right. coming in it until five minutes before. But I was on, I was on the grid, you know, well, I was there an hour before the start, and it was like, car, car. Oh, uh, really? And that's as scientific as it gets. Yeah. But I just felt it's a bit down. And I think, you know, and this is, whilst I found it exceptionally enjoyable weekend, and well done for moving it to August from April. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just felt that the WEC lacked atmosphere because it was a foregone conclusion. I know it ended up not being a foregone conclusion. <laughs> we were all wrong because of a, a mistake, but I just felt it just took everything out of it. That lack of competition at the front. I know it's four classes. I know we should be multi-class minded. And I, you know, we all know what we should do, but we are lots of GTs heart, on the TV. We are exactly. We are racing fans, and we look at the person who actually wins overall. And we shouldn't. But you sit there when you sit there going, "Is it going to be seven? Is it going to be eight? And you kind of think it's going to be eight. And then a couple of weird things happen to seven, and it is eight. You kind of go, and that's why I think there's been this kind of rather strangely positive reaction to to, uh, to getting disqualified. But you know, the, the the they really are having problems with the EOT. I think that they, yeah, we, the other thing we did have a slight issue with, I think, is, is a bit of bad luck. And the best of the um, the privateer cars, the Jensen Button car, of course, um, was out uh, expired after half an hour. Yeah. But the racing was actually good. Three classes of good racing. Um, but I just felt it was a bit flat because of that foregone conclusion at the front. Purple uh, feeling. And in the European Le Mans series, just for the uh, sake of veracity, it was G-Drive that won the 26 car, Rusinov, uh, Pizza Tola and Jev. Who of whom we spoke? Mostly Jev. Mostly Jev. Yeah. Uh, it was Dragon Speed in second and Edex Sport in third, 21 and 28. Uh, all Oricas. They're the best of the Elysiers. At least there are still Elysiers there. Was the Will Stevens, Julian Canal, and Timothy Bure well, car down well, in sixth. Wallifying star. He had pole by 0.75 of a second. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Well, in LMP3, 
it was the United Autosports number three car uh, that won again and in GTE uh, that was the Liam Griffin uh, McDowell Molina car that we talked about the JMW Motorsport 66 uh, Will Stevens had the fastest lap of the race as well by the way Right, that's Silverstone done for the time being. Thanks to Tim and Nick. Let's move on to IndyCar, dominated by a horrible crash at Pocono. Spoke to Jeremy Shaw, my IMSA radio colleague, yesterday, just after the news had come through that Robert Wickens had had surgery to stabilise his spine. It was a terrifying crash. I mean, there's just no other way to describe it. And to get to, to even think that anybody could... could to get, could get out of that is is frankly pretty remarkable it certainly wouldn't have happened he would, wouldn't have got out of it 10 or 15 years ago so you know look on the positive side and and give and send the man positive positive thoughts yeah and now not the time to be uh, making nature reactions broad statements or speculation that will come in due course as jeremy rightly says our thoughts are with uh, with Robert Wickens, his family, and, and yeah. with Schmidt-Peterson Motorsport as well, who uh, must be in a, a terrible state at the moment because nobody wants to see that happen to anybody on the grid. And, and the bigger the bigger IndyCar family and Motorsport family have been very supportive already, Jeremy. Well, that, that's the point. I mean, you know, it is a close-lit community, the motor racing community, and, and Robert, of course, you know, he's, he's touched just about a, all of it around the world, you know, through his racing in Europe uh, as well as over here. So, uh, you know, super... Tremendously popular character, tremendous driver, great character, just a fine young man all around, and you know we're we're looking forward to seeing him seeing him back at uh, full strength. Coming down to the clutch part of the season, the season continued. That race continued after a couple of hours delay for clean up for repairs to the catch fencing, and Alexander Rossi is making a bit of a run for the championship here. He's got the big more, the big momentum, and just cutting. Little chunks here and there out of Scott Dixon's lead. Yes, he is. You know, two wins in a row, and that's the sort of momentum you need going into the championship. It's a busy end of the season. You know, straight away after after Pocono, we go to uh, Gateway this weekend, and then straight and then straight from there next week to uh, to Portland. Looking forward to going back there to to or- to the Oregon area and the whole north uh, northwest, uh, and then the, then they they have one week off before they go off to Sonoma for the series finale. So it's it's full on from now and and uh, you know a complete breadth of racetracks too, which is kind of cool way to finish off this season. But tell me about Gateway because Gateway I would isn't one of the better known racetracks for those outside of the USA. Portland hasn't been on the schedule for quite a while. Everybody knows and loves Sonoma and it's one and a half times points there as well, if memory serves. So the season is by no means over, but gateway this coming weekend. Tell me about that. Yeah. Double points actually at Sonoma. It's a hundred oh, points for a win yes, as opposed right. to 50 yeah. overall. So, you know, extra significance there. Gateway, uh, yeah, a mile and a quarter. Uh, it's a kind of an egg-shaped oval. One end is tighter than the other. Uh, I wasn't able to go there last year. I'm going. I am going this this week. Looking forward to going back there. I haven't been there in, in many many years. And but it always provides a, a good race. Last year, of course, was a cracker. That uh, tremendous battle between Joseph Newgarden and and Simon Pagano. And I'm sure uh, there's no doubt that Penske will be looking to to have a similarly strong run this weekend as well to get. Well, either Joseph Newgarden or Will Power. I mean, they're within 15 points of each other. Uh, back into uh, into contention with Dixie, who's still you know still got a you know a, a lead. It's 29 points, which is not a lot, 
going into the final three races of the season. But the advantage certainly is with Dixie. But as you say, the momentum is very much with Rossi. Never count out uh, Dixon, particularly when he's got a lead, uh, and particularly when it comes down to the championship side of things. Uh, Portland, as I said, hasn't been on the uh, schedule for a, a little while. Now, I remember... When were we there last for the sportscast? 2006, something like that. Uh, it was um, it was a challenging track. It wasn't smooth at all. It was a, it's a little uh, flat uh, road circuit with a long front strip, which doubles as a drag strip. And from what I've been hearing, that there hasn't been all that much done since the last time we were there in 2006. I would recognise it immediately, apparently. Uh, yes, apart from the bird poop. Uh, I was actually up there earlier this year and... Uh, I had a quick quick look around, just uh, just re- re- reconnaissance trip basically for 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 the Maserati to Indy banquet that'll take place after that weekend, and um, yeah, there's, there was a there's a massive flock of Canada geese all the way over the uh, over the the, the the last the last portion of the racetrack. I mean, I've never seen so many, but uh, yeah, the racetrack itself it, it is a challenge. Uh, it's fast. There's a couple of good overtaking places there. There's the the uh, festival chicane, as they call it, the festival curves, I think they called it, when they pers- first put that chicane in uh, on, on the drag strip. Otherwise, it's a, it's a huge long run to the end there and then a very, very fast kind of tightening radius right-hander at the end of it all. So they put that little chicane in there to uh, spice things up a bit, and it certainly has, and it has provided some great racing over the years. Actually, that was the first IndyCar race I went to in the U.S. was in 1984, really? was at Portland, yeah. And it was Al Unser Jr.'s first win. Funnily enough, uh, it was, well, yeah, actually, it was the first race at Portland and also Al Jr.'s first win. So that'll be uh, it. it I, I've always enjoyed going there. It's a, the, 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 the whole the facility is yeah, it's nothing special, but it's but it's a, it's a fun racetrack and and it's a good viewing there for the fans and uh, the city and the whole environment around there in the northwest is 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 stunning. So uh, looking forward to a really exciting weekend there. Um, we're right in the middle of silly season. Um, lots of rumour and anticipation of who might might be going uh, to change drives. Obviously, we talked about Scott Dixon re-signing. Uh, that was last week, wasn't it? The week before now. And, I mean, he's got the longest tenure of anybody now in uh, in a team at, at IndyCar. How much of this do we have to take seriously, Jeremy? And, and, and how much can we take with, with a pinch of salt? Yeah, no, yeah, like you, but I'm I'm not a big rumor, rumor spreader, mongerer. Um, I I like to go with the facts. There's plenty of facts around. Uh, yeah, the facts are, as you say, that Dixie has re-signed with Ganassi. That's a big coup, certainly for that team. Uh, you know, who's going to drive the second car there? Well, who knows? Where is uh, where is uh, Alonso going to end up? You know, you hear all mm. sorts all sorts of stories that you know Honda Japan. Not be very happy with them, certainly. Uh, Honda America, however, loved the experience that they had with uh, with uh, Fernando and he with them, I believe, at Indianapolis a couple of years ago. So, you know, I think all the options are open there and it'll come down to who can put together the best package. Uh, and uh, Santi Ferrucci coming back uh, for the last couple of races of the season to Dale Coyne. Now, this, this this has sparked a bit of controversy because he, he left his previous employee under a bit of a, a cloud after a clash with his teammate, a disqualification, a, a cell phone in the car and some rather ill-advised uh, press releases that weren't particularly... Um, uh, weren't particularly in the right vein and he's, he's rocked up at Dale Coyne Racing. Does that surprise you? Um... In some ways, yes. Uh, in some ways, yes. Dale, uh, I've always admired Dale. I, I, uh, 
ethics to me are massively important. Yes. As you well know. And, and you know, the guy, the kid, is, is he's acted not just like a kid, like a spoiled brat kid, quite frankly. And mm. uh, not the sort of person I would want on my team, I don't think, to be perfectly honest. But... Uh, you know, everybody's got a chance to redeem themselves or should have a chance to redeem themselves, I suppose. Yes. So um, from that respect, perspective, OK, um, you know, it's he, he's bringing the money and Dale. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is that just money just, talking uh, there, Jeremy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's not hired on his talent. That's for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, he created a good impression with the team when he drove with them at Detroit earlier this season. Uh, did did OK there. You know, didn't did about what what, what one would expect you know, with, a, with a competitive car. Um you know, can they run a third car effectively uh, oh, for those last couple question. of races? Well, that's going to be, you know, it's going to be a bit of a challenge. Um, but yeah, you know, but but having said that, they've got some great people at Dale Coyne Racing these days, and and there's lots of people around who who they can pull in to to add that to, to add a third car. Uh, but yeah, the focus is still going to be on on Sebastian Bourdais, and I believe it's Pietro, isn't it, who's driving the last uh, couple of races as well. So they'll have a bit of consistency there, whether Pietro's fully up to Pietro Fittipaldi, whether he's fully fit yet, um, is open to conjecture. Plus, he, he put a, you know, took a pretty, pretty hard lick in that Procano crash, didn't it? So, um, But anyhow, you know, it, it is what it is, and, uh, and, and Dale's given him the opportunity, so we'll see what, the, what, what he can do. He's going to be under scrutiny for sure, isn't he? Everybody's got to know that, and he's Dale's got to, got to know that as well. Yeah, yes. you're right. Absolutely right. And, uh, you know, I mean, when, when you get bands like that, to me, they should be... They should be not just one series that he's that he's sat down from. I think wherever he goes, he should be he should be uh, told that you know the way he conducted himself was was absolutely not the way that uh, this this sport is, is is things are done in this sport. It, there's a lot of respect. Motor racing is a sport that demands respect from everybody. You know, yes. the drivers have to respect each other, uh, and uh, and 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 I think that filters down, generally speaking, amongst the whole sport. And that clearly was not the case with that young man um, earlier this year. So, uh, but as I say, uh, he he he's. I'm sure he's got the message, and uh, and everybody d- deserves a chance to redeem themselves. Uh, good luck at the weekends. I'm fairly envious of you uh, going to to Gateway. Is that a Saturday race or a Sunday race, Jeremy, this weekend? Yes, it's a Saturday night race. So I thought it I was mm. <laughs> Saturday night race, and uh, yeah, my so favourite. And it's last year, yeah, exactly. The yeah, proper Saturday night short track racing or shortish track racing, mile and a quarter. Uh, and last year, I, I wasn't there, but was a, I, I'm told there was a fantastic atmosphere. Uh, I know I've also been told by many people that the that anybody in the St. Louis area has never seen so much promotion for a single sporting event oh, as wow. they are seeing for the Bomberito Auto Group for, for this weekend's uh, IndyCar event. Of course, the, the, the Indy Lights and Pro Mazda as well as, uh, are there also for the penultimate race weekends for their season. So there's a lot at stake there with those championships up for grabs and you know big scholarships. They'll, they'll be decided finally at Portland, uh, but uh, it should be a really, really good weekend at Portland. So, yeah, thoroughly looking forward to that. Midweek Motorsport. Half-time. And while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. Just been told by the responsible adult that we won't be able to have a chat with Gerard Navour, the CEO of the WEC. He's on a plane. I know where he's going to, but we'll keep that confidence for the time being and follow up uh, uh, on that in the next couple of weeks. Uh, That means we'll get... Tim, who's in York, and Nick, who isn't back, to talk about that WEC calendar that came out 
just before the Silverstone race weekend. Uh, in the second half of tonight's programme as well, Brian Sellers, if we can get the technology to work. Brian is on the phone and hopefully he'll be talking to us about uh, his uh, new drive for Jaguar. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, but coming up next, Jeremy Shaw and I talk VIR and IMSA on Midweek Motorsport. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. An absolutely fantastic IMSA weekend at VIR. First of all, Jeremy, VIR just looks better and better every time we go there. It's a green and pleasant land to go motor racing. Yeah, isn't it just? There's, there's so much history there, you know, from way, way back, and yeah, they've they've kept all the good bits uh, and improved the the uh, everything else. The only infrastructure there is really, really nice. It's it's a beautiful racetrack, and and it promotes great racing, and particularly, I think that all G, the all G, GT uh, event was uh, was stunning. The, the I mean, it was a good crowd again. It's a knowledgeable crowd there. When we went in on uh, Saturday, the race day. But the, the main event there was race day for the, the Conti tyres. And Sunday, plenty of people there, lots of car corrals, lots of things going on. Meet the drivers, Currigan Smith and the rest of the team. They do a cracking job there to make sure everybody knows. And I spoke to quite a few fans who travelled quite a distance to be there. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, tremendous enthusiasm, I thought, uh, all the way around. It was it was great to see so many people there. I, and, you know, the weather forecast was a bit dodgy, wasn't it? There was yeah, true. You know, thought, talk of, uh, of storms and rain and what have you. And yes, there was some rain, but uh, the fans were there in force. And I think uh, I think to a person, they had a great time. What is it that IMS is getting right at the moment, Jer- Jeremy? Because we, we keep getting these ridiculous ridiculously exciting races in Continental Tyres and in the WeatherTech Championship. And the racing's outstanding. We're getting a lot of green flag racing, which I I think is part of the answer to the question that I've just said, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah, there was just a one caution uh, this time. Yeah, mid mid race after Nick Tandy's engine blew, and he really didn't he really didn't have an opportunity to get that car to a safe location where it where it expired. Um, so yeah, there, there was a, an hour and a bit of racing leading up to that, and as, as an hour and a bit more after it. Uh, and it was it was stunning, stunning racing all the way through. The cars are so closely matched; they've just done a brilliant job. Yeah, we looked at the fastest laps uh, of of each of the cars afterwards. And uh, it's crazy close considering how many different manufacturers involved. You know, there's four in GTLM and all of the four cars were you know, within thousands of a second of each other, basically. Uh, and GTD, uh, there's, there weren't that many cars. There were only 10 cars, but there were eight manufacturers. And each of those was, was again, very, very closely matched. So anybody could have ended up winning that race. It was, it was tremendous fun. I think the fans you know, appreciate that. This run in at the end of the, or the second half of the season after we've had the break for Le Mans in IMSA. I mean, the whole IMSA season, I, I love the calendar. Um, but particularly, we've been sort of talking about, the fans have been talking about these classic US and Canadian road racing venues. In some ways, for the Europeans, old school, uh, where they feel, the drivers feel that they can make a difference and and that I mean we, we only had I think one true rookie uh, which was Dominic Bauman who actually won in, in GT Daytona he did a cracking uh, a cracking job but all the European drivers love these road circuits and particularly love VIR because they feel they can make a difference Jeremy Good point you know I mean you, the, for the Americans this is the sort of track on which they've 
they, you know, they've been brought up on. So they, you know, they, I mean, they appreciate them, but perhaps not so much as the Europeans do because they're used to, to race on these sanitized, wide open places with no consequences. And, you know, the, the, the tracks in, in North America, that, particularly the ones that take, that make up the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship are very much not that. Um, so, uh, you know, they, they, they like the fact, particularly you know, with the cars being clo- so closely matched, uh, it's up to the, they like the fact that here's an opportunity for the drivers actually to make a little bit of a difference. And it was fun talking to uh, Jack Hawksworth, for example, over the weekend. And you know, he was beaming from ear to ear. He just loves that racetrack. He, he, he for him, that's the best racetrack on that, uh, that he goes to. He, he absolutely loves coming over here. And he said, look, you know, hardly anybody in Europe even knows about VAR, but it's <laughs> such a cool track to drive on. Uh, championship lead for GTLM in the WeatherTech Championship uh, goes back to Corvette. And, you know, again, those four manufacturers. Of the four manufacturers at the weekend, Ford had Paul. Uh, BMW came first and third. Uh, Corvette came second and took the championship. And Porsche had the fastest lap. So we're spreading the love. <laughs> Aren't we just? It's brilliant. You know, and now with the, with that win for BMW, all the four manufacturers have won at least once this season. Uh, the Corvettes won this season, but uh, curiously, the Magnussen Garcia car hasn't yet. No. Uh, they've now gone a full year without a win. And for, for Jan in particular, you know, leading the championship, great, but he certainly wants to win a race. He's won... He won a race, hasn't he? Every single year since two, since 1999, won at least one race, except for th- 2012. And he, he he doesn't want the, another exception this season. It, it would be uh, it would be uh, it would be fine if he gets a, gets a championship. He might be able to overlook the fact that he hasn't won a race, but only kind of sorta because mm. he he wants to win, doesn't he? And he's still driving absolutely beautifully. He and Garcia, they've just done a brilliant job this season. Have made hardly any mistakes and uh, are now leading the championship. Not by much, but they are leading the championship. That's a partnership that's developed into one of those classic endurance yes. pairings, isn't it? It's it's just sort of evolved into it. I can't really now put my finger on when it all came together because it seems like they've been doing it for, you know, a couple, three seasons or more now, to be, to be quite honest. A, a lot of people asking at the weekend, Jeremy, what was the difference for BMW? First and third, pace in the cars. How, how on earth did they get the win was it a big BOP swing well it wasn't really was it It, not at all no it was just that Bobby Rahal wasn't there I'm kidding (laughs) I'm kidding Uh, I'm kidding oh hang on a second Uh, I've got Mr Rahal on the phone here wants (laughs) to talk to you yeah yeah, uh, Mr. No, I wanted to chat to him at the weekend about something completely different, and he wasn't there. He was at uh, he was at Pocono for with uh, for, for Graham, and his race didn't last long either. Um, but look, no, it, it's just the fact uh, the, the the track suited that car. The drivers did a brilliant job. There were no mistakes at all. They got it all together. They've had some difficulty. It's a, it is a new car this season. Uh, there there've been a few BOP tweaks during the season, but none none recently. None in the last couple or three races. Uh, so they're just—they're now, I think, just hitting the sweet spot on that car, and they put it all together at the weekend, and it was really, really good to see. I mean, the funny thing is, Alexander Sims was involved in an incident, wasn't he, halfway through when he he knocked the number fifteen Lexus out of the way yeah. when David Hanemar Hansen was driving and took him out of contention. And incidentally, afterwards, Alexander went over to the Lexus team, to the three GT team, specifically to apologise. Uh, to them, I gather the drivers weren't there, but you know the point is that he, you know, he, 
he he was kind of ushered off the road or whatever. He made he made a mistake and he cost that team dearly. Uh, but uh, he was able to bounce back from that. He, he served his. He got a, a an instant responsibility penalty. Came in and served that. Uh, the the caution period. The caution. Uh, came out moments after when Nick Tandy's engine blew up. So, you know, it, it, Lady Luck was smiling their way last weekend. And, and those are things you've got to take those breaks when they open up, when the opportunities open up, you've got to be there to take advantage of it. And, and that team was. And the strategy was brilliant. You know, they, they kept him out there taking a bit of a gamble because if there had been a full course caution after everybody else had pitted with about 55 minutes to go, which is the soonest they could make that final pit stop to get to the end without there being a full course caution, they opted to stay out for another, well, basically half an hour. Yeah. And if the caution period had come out then, they'd have been hosed because the pits would have been closed and they'd have gone to the, right to the back of the pack. But you know, when everything's going your way... Uh, then everything, then, then you know, the, the stars are aligned, and 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 the team took advantage of that. But it was a great drive by Alexander. Uh, he he put the hammer down at the front of the field, made his way through the traffic, was patient. Uh, great, great, thoroughly well deserved win for he and Conde Filippi. Yeah, Conor did his part in the uh, early uh, part yeah, of, of the race as well, yeah. really did. And, and it should be said that uh, the, the black car, the 24, was right on the pace as well. In fact, was almost doing too good a job at the end because rather pushing Magnussen along. I'm not sure Mags ever settles for second place, but even if he'd wanted to, he couldn't have because he had Jesse Cron right up his tailpipes. That was a great battle, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesse was absolutely flying there. Uh, towards the end, uh, you know, they they they'd lost a bit of ground during, during the uh, final pit stop, so I had to make it up again. He made a couple of passes on a track where overtaking is difficult, and he was he was all over the back of Jan Magnussen in the closing stages. It was a really fun race, and uh, and with Alexander just kind of managing his pace up the front there. I mean that that gap over the last five or six laps went from eight seconds to just over one at the checkered flag yeah. so yeah, he managed it perfectly yeah i did have a, a, a chat with one of the bmw guys as i was leaving the hotel on monday morning at south boston and they said that was a bit closer than we would have liked at the front <laughs> of the field didn't have any problems they didn't have any fuel issues they didn't weren't particularly having to worry too much about the, the tires had been on the car of about a stint and a half a stint and three quarters uh in, in in point of fact but they felt they were going to be all right, but it was. I think it was a tad closer than they w- would really uh, have liked. Jeremy, I had a great weekend. I know it was very busy. Thanks for all your hard work. And California next with WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Sega, and we've got the prototypes back as well. Looking forward to that. Rubbing my hands with glee. Can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's great to see the, the prototype news as well recently, isn't it? About new some new Cadillacs joining for, in the fun for next year. It, it's excited. That, that, I, I said what Sims are doing right, and the answer is pretty much everything at the moment. The uh, the level of um, manufacturer involvement uh, is fantastic. Uh, just seeing as well earlier this week that uh, the uh, the year, um which is the ESM Nismo chassis, that's going to be made available uh, to other people to buy and run uh, as well. Um, we know that the Mazda isn't going to be uh, made available uh, for at least one more uh, year, and I think it's the same for the Acura uh, Team Penske car, but there's going to be plenty of Cadillacs out there next year. I, I mean, just am I being greedy and saying just one more DPI manufacturer and, and that would be that would be the icing on the cake 
Well, yeah, you know, it's absolutely true. Uh, I think it, it would be. I mean, I think it's going to be great. This season has been fantastic amongst the manufacturers that are there. Uh, I think there is, well, th- th- there definitely is more interest. Just a question of somebody signing up. And I think uh, if they did so, you know, they'd be onto a winner because uh, as we've seen this season, you know, IMSA wants to make sure that everybody who's in there has a chance to do well. And, you know, there's a couple of teams, Mazda in particular, that haven't yet worked their way to the victory lane, but they're they're knocking on the door and i think anybody else who comes in would have that same opportunity and that's always good to see and and the the cadillacs by the way you were talking about is uh jdc are going to take the cadillacs on aren't they they are yes they've, they've ordered uh at least two uh well planning on running two i think they might have ordered three actually three cars uh, and also the uh PR1 Matheson Motorsports, the AFS team too, they've also ordered a Cadillac for next year as well. Now, they, having done that, Jeremy, they must feel then that they've got the same opportunity as anyone else. We, we, we kind of look at the guys from Action Express and, and Wayne Taylor Racing, but, but the, the difference to what we see in, say, the World Endurance Championship is there's not a works Cadillac racing team there. Effectively, they're all privateers, so they should in theory, at least, get all the same equipment and have, depending on how well they run it, at least have this, the same chance? I think so. Just you know, look at the, uh, the Spirit of Daytona team this season. I mean, they had horrendous luck, but the car was always fast. It was on the pole, wasn't it, at Sebring with uh, Tristan Vautier, and you know, wh- whenever it ran, it was running up front. So um, you're right. I mean, your Action Express and Wade Taylor Racing, top-class teams. Yes. But um, but I, I I think you're right. I don't think they have any preference. They, I don't think they have any any preferential service over the customers other other customers either. So yeah, I think they should be right in the mix. Golden age, Jeremy. You kept saying yep. that at the weekend, muttering under your breath. Golden age, hind off. You kept saying, but it is, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's wonderful. I, I'm loving it right now. And you just it was it was so fun. Yes, it was just the GT cars last weekend, but the whole atmosphere around the paddock was really, really positive throughout. And and it has been too, I think, in the prototypes as well mm. you know, at, uh, at Road America last time and, and will be also in, um, in Monterey. So, yeah, it, a lot of excitement, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of positivity heading into the 2019 season. No doubt about that at all. The IMSA paddock is absolutely buzzing at the moment. Jeremy Shaw... Uh, who'll be with me on IMSA Radio RS2 for the uh, final two rounds of the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship and the rest of the championships. We're at the WeatherTech uh, Laguna Seca Raceway uh, next time out in a couple of weeks' time. Can't wait for that. Let's stay with sports cars on Midweek Motorsport, Series 13, episode uh, number 32. No Gerard Navarre, as we mentioned. So that means we'll get... Tim and Nick back and oh hang on are we going to do Brian now no we have to leave Brian for a little while do we okay no that's perfect Brian Sellers coming to talk about Jaguar racing which he has just been announced what was that yesterday wasn't it that that was uh, announced excellent stuff Uh, let's go back to Tim and Nick Tim in York uh, Nick not and let's talk uh, WEC calendars. Tim, you do love a calendar, don't you? 
I do. Yes. I would point out, though, that this is not a calendar. This is a provisional calendar. It still has to go to the FIA World <laughs> Motorsport Council, and it's not an actual calendar until after they've approved it. No, that that is... And actually, that's a very good point for a, a number of reasons that we will raise uh, in a few moments' time. This is the first time that we... This is the first of the proper, in inverted color, ca- uh, commas, winter, or at least autumn to summer calendars uh, that uh, schedules, should I say, that the WEC have uh, have announced because this transition season, of course, hasn't quite been uh, the, the standard. So this will start then at Silverstone in... Uh, get the, 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 the um, years right. In August 2019. Yes? Yes, that's... Yes. Isn't, it, isn't, it, isn't it September the 1st, the actual race? Uh, is it? The race is, but yes. the race weekend starts on the twenty ninth of, uh, oh, sorry, on the thirtieth of August. Yes, so uh, so basically the similar type of year that we've had, uh, similar type of uh, time of the year that we've had uh, this year, and the first part. Well, the thing that everybody's up in arms about is Silverstone's only going to be four hours next year, and and Gerard Navarre, the man at the top, says. That that's because uh, they on the fan survey that they did eight months ago. People said uh, that they wanted uh, a more more and different lengths of races. And I definitely said that. Did you? Yes. You were one of four percent that said. I, I wasn't suggesting I wanted four-hour races though. No. I, I wanted different race lengths. So six, eight, ten, twelve, twenty-four. Right. Four um, percent said they wanted shorter races. And there are two shorter races, of course, now as well. Uh, because the Shanghai race has gone back down, or has gone to to four-hour uh, races. Nick Damon, um, four or six hours at Silverstone. I, I would think that the British public will... Well, if Twitter's anything to go by, the British public are a, a little bit... Um, feel a little bit short-changed by that. Well, yes and no. Because of course, we are the only weekend which has a ELMS double. Oh, that's I'm sure good, that will yes. continue. So we do actually have eight hours of endurance racing, actual racing over the um, weekend. And just playing devil's advocate, it really depends. If they, if they fill the other two hours with a meaningful support race, or rather than just leaving it blank and finishing at four, um, <laughs> then it's, it's more, it is more of a, um, a package overall. I mean, I, I don't think it's a particularly... It's, it's, it's definitely nothing that anybody I've ever heard ask for. As Tim says, the request has been not for 66666 Le Mans, but that doesn't mean we actually want, you know, um, for two hours taken off the opening race um, and, and the race which probably has the longest history outside of Le Mans as a uh, tourist trophy. Our fans sport, we listened and we have reacted, said Gerard Navarre who's the CEO of the WEC, said, we've had a period of consultation with our partners and competitors and we believe this new calendar will meet their expectations and re- requirements. Silverstone um, race day is the 1st of September, 13th of October, six hours of Fuji, four hours of Shanghai on the 17th of November. Now, Bahrain's back on the calendar. Traditionally, it, when it was on, it was the end of the season. Uh, the Bahrain, Bahrain, he's made a, a, quite a large contribution to the travel costs for the whole of the rest of the season. Uh, that's now in the middle race, effectively, of the year, uh, on the 14th of 
December. Now, we'll come back to date clashes in a moment, but that's been put to eight hours. So, eight hours where you can't team attract a crowd. That's a bit of an but odd one. You can right. run it under lights. Yes. So, it is a floodlit circuit. So, But it doesn't actually... help for the time zone in Europe because they're already ahead. They're three ahead, aren't they, at that mm. time of year? No, four ahead sorry, at that time of year. So... Well, I suppose, yeah, they, they, they fit. No, that's, that's fine. It's, they're four ahead, that's fine. That means that their midnight is our eight o'clock. Oh, yes, that's a good point. It works for them. So, yes. No, yes. It's, yes. So, so they can Run, run running into, into darkness at Bahrain. That's going to be really good. Yeah. they yeah, do it. Yes, I agree. Well, it's always I mean, been in the dark, the Bahrain race, since the Bahrain is... They'll just start it two hours earlier. Yeah. And, and I, I assume they'll run it from something in the region of two till ten local time would make most sense. They're um, not going to uh, get a crowd. They're not going to get a crowd. Sao Paulo's back on the 1st of February. Now now we're into 2020. So September, October, November, December. And then a, a shorter break than they have this year because they, they, there's a, a long break after um, the final race of the season before we go to Sebring. Um, so this is the 1st of February. Six hours of Sao Paulo back to Brazil. Sao Paulo still hasn't had the pit complex uh, renewed as far as I'm aware. Um, which is the reason, one of the reasons that we stepped away, not the sole reason that the WEC stepped away from that. March 2020, 1,000 miles of Sebring, which they expect to be in eight hours, so that's a return to Sebring. Six hours of Spa-Francorchamps in Belgium, the uh, standard day in May. Uh, first weekend of June 2020, which is actually the uh, last, couple, last couple of days of, last day of, May into May. the first week, end of June, isn't it? Yes. Uh, uh, is the test day, and then 24 hours on Mon, 13th and 14th of June. A uh, couple of interesting things there. Back to Brazil, uh, Nick. Uh, great circuit, and that will get a crowd. Get a crowd? You just kind of wonder. The reason people haven't been going to Brazil is infrastructural and security reasons, and you kind of wonder what they've actually done to improve that. And, and you know, sitting with a hat on, you kind of wonder what they've been promised and whether what they've been promised will actually happen. Yes, and that, that has been a problem um, in there in the past um, in yeah, terms I mean, of delivery I, I, of services. I actually think the Sao Paulo track is fantastic. I love I love. Uh, it's really good for sports it's car racing. Great. And if you find yourself in a pleasant part of town, it's fantastic. The problem is getting from the track to a pleasant part of town means going part through some parts which aren't very nice. And we're not being delivered Europeans. It's really not nice. Uh, you could use your helicopter, Nick. Oh, only, yes. Ubercopter. An Ubercopter, mm. sir. Um, and it has seemingly been getting worse uh, on that side of things uh, over yeah. the last couple of years. Um th- uh, Tim, the thousand miles of Sebring, eight hours. That is uh, has an asterisk next to it. TBC it to be confirmed. One presumes, and I don't know. Um, maybe we should ask this question: um, Is the uh, that will I think very much depend on how next year's first event goes? Probably. I'm not sure that's the issue. I think the issue here is that they can't announce the date of it until IMSA do. Well, IMSA have already... Ah, right, yes, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. And IMSA won't do that until after uh, this or the 2019 event. Well, they won't announce next year's... They won't announce the 2020 calendar until Road America in they 2019. They calendar, but Sebring usually announced their dates uh, at the weekend of the corresponding event the previous year if it's so, not if it's not St Patrick's Day weekend uh, or the, the weekend closest it would be a big surprise it would be a huge surprise yes um, 
But now this leads to the question of when the FIA World Motorsport Council will ratify this calendar. Yes. So it looks like this might have to wait until their spring meeting next year. Yeah. And not happen in October this year when all the other calendars are ratified. Yeah. And the idea was at the very latest to get this done by December. I don't think that. Well, no, be we've, done. we've had we've had calendars ratified with asterisk dates. Before. That is true. That's yes. true. And they, they but can this one doesn't actually have a date, Nick. Well, no, that's that. I think that's just being nice to IMSA. I'm sure they can stick a they can stick an asterisk date onto it, which is you know the 14th of um, March, and then if it has to move a week either way, that's fine. Now let's talk uh, like calendars. The big talking point with calendars is all. Can I get all, back to Silverstone. You may go on. One of the issues that Silverstone have, and one of the reasons why we may have uh, had to go to a four hours, is the timetable over the weekend, because it shares with the LMS. Yep. Saturday is a really, really tightly packed day. There's a curfew um, at Silverstone, isn't there? Well, there actually, is, there isn't an official one, but there is... That they're, they're... It depends on what DB... Uh, level your cars are running at yeah but there's no um, noise level at silverstone that's what i'm saying there is no noise level they operate to a one that they set themselves uh, there isn't one imposed on them by the local council mm. but they're trying this, to get everything off year, the cl- track by half past six don't they yes this year at silverstone there was no lunch break in the schedule mm-hmm. and really no room for manoeuvre um, I think the longest gap between sessions was supposed to be 20 minutes and the previous session had a red flag. So that actually became about six minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And that is something that they will want to avoid because they, they were only, ending up but, but, losing track time through red flags in practice and qualifying. But Tim, the only thing that that affects is Sunday by taking two hours off, off the yeah. main race. It means that instead of having two support races on Saturday and uh, one on Sunday. You can yeah. have one on Saturday and yes, two it does. on Sunday. No, that's, that is very true. The problem with that is, though, that means it stretches your race weekend for, um, two, uh, for two support series rather than one. It gives them an extra day. But, okay, very quickly, because... Well, uh, we also need to look at what that support series is because, obviously, Formula 3... Doesn't exist no, anymore. Style, ...doesn't exist at the end of this season. It'll be... It'll replace GP3, which will obviously go to Silverstone to support the Formula One in 2019. Yeah. 2020, no Silverstone Formula One. At the moment, we could be seeing Formula Three coming back to Silverstone as a standalone uh, for that once the European Formula One season is over. Uh, very quickly, because uh, we need to get this wrapped up. Um, the thorny uh, issue of how many free weekends there are. Six hours of Fuji as it stands now would uh, clash with Petit Le Mans date already announced. Mm-hmm. The 14th of December Bahrain, eight hours of Bahrain would clash with the 12 hours of uh, the Gulf 12 hours. The Possibly f- not. That hasn't been announced yet. No, that is and true. And they are talking about splitting that into a series rather than a standalone event, okay. which will run across Bahrain and Abu Dhabi. Um, the big uh, problem for events. The- so it might end up being a support race to that eight hours of Bahrain. Oh, yeah, that could work. Um, the big problem is the 1st of February 2020. There's six hours of Sao Paulo. It, it's, it could clash with the 12 hours of Bathurst that's their traditional weekend um, what it... it's not really last time 
Bathurst happened uh, on uh, where the 1st of February was Sunday. It happened on the 8th. Yes, but that was... Uh, that was uh, they can't do that now because the big bash is on uh, the cricket competition and they can't get the television so that would apply were it not for the fact that we already know the cricket calendar and know that the big bash is going to finish on the 15th of February no but it's but it starts then it's not when it necessarily finishes it's not just about when the end of it is it's when the start of it is and how much TV time it takes up, and they they give twelve hours to that twelve hours. Even if it doesn't clash with that, it's either the same weekend or uh, more likely the weekend after the Rolex Twenty Four Daytona. So what it does do is means that no LMP two runners from WEC can use the same car to do those two races. So you're not going to get any uh, European teams going who do WEC going to the Rolex. That is the bigger issue. Yeah. I don't think we'll see a clash with Bathurst. I do think that we won't have European teams going to Daytona. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think the other dates are okay um, on that, but it's still as a talking point there. Um, anything, any, anything else on that, Nick? Before I know you've got to disappear. So, anything else that you see on that? I mean, are you happy with the makeup of the calendar? Four, six, eight, and twenty-four. Variety is the spice of life, to be honest. Right. Okay. <laughs> 66 hours in total. How does that compare to this year? Well, it's it's less, obviously, because it's the super season. Uh, because there's 224s, of course. Yes, of course. Um, well, well, we'll have to see. Uh, we'll have to see how it how it works out. It's going to be... An, it's, there's a lot of travelling there. Uh, you've, you've thrown in another an extra trip to um, Brazil. And an extra trip to the Middle East that they haven't had this year. But you've taken away one race at Le Mans that costs the equivalent of, of a whole ELMS season in one go, is what the the teams were telling me. So, uh, do you know, I, I like the balance of it. I'll be honest with you. I like the balance of it. There's almost um, a race every month. Um, the codicil to all of this is, Gerard Navo said, they will add one more race for the following season. Is that mm. a bridge too far? Depends where it is. The obvious place to do it is after Sebring and before Spa because you've got quite a long gap there. Yes, so um, in April somewhere. So April, probably in Europe, I would think. Yep. Monza, second weekend of April. Monza's difficult, Nick, isn't it? Because they don't have that many noisy days. No, they they don't, and they. I I still. I'm surprised they haven't. French race, Ricard. Oh, German. Yes, very good. Very good. They've got enough money. Ah, good point, Nick. Perennial problem in Germany uh, with the funding issue. Are you listening to Midweek Motorsport? Thanks to Nick, he's got to disappear. Not in a magic trick type of way. He's just got other things to do tonight. Uh, Tim will be back in a little while. Uh, Series 13, episode 32. I promised you Brian Sellers. Let's get him up on the phone over here on the right-hand side of the desk and say hello to Brian Sellers. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, Brian. I'm very well. Um, We've got a lot to talk about with you uh, this evening. Let's take you back to the weekend and VIR, first of all. 
congratulations. You come away with Madison Snow and Paul Miller Racing with the championship lead. Not quite as many points as you had over the field as you went in there. But frankly, a weekend where the racing gods seem to conspire against you. Another engine issue, another hard work, uh, another set of hard work from, from the team and a fairly... Um, rough and tumble at race for the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship in the GT Daytona class. Uh, do you look at a weekend like that and say, yeah, we got what we could out of that one and we live to fight another day? Yes, that's exactly where we're at at this stage. I mean, you go back at that weekend and it's tough to process that result and be happy with it. But in the end, I think what we did from an execution standpoint was correct. And I don't think that there's anything we could have changed in terms of our operation or performance that could have made our result really any better. So, you know, we've said for a couple races this year that we felt like we've had a car that's been a fifth or sixth place car that should have been fifth or sixth place on the grid. And we've managed, along with some luck, some good fortune, some good execution, uh, to be able to make better of those weekends. This time, uh, it just wasn't in the cards. We just weren't quite good enough to do anything better than where we were. So you have to look at it and say we definitely lost some points. Um, The 86 car with Catherine took a decent amount out of us. Um, But we survived, and, uh, you know, we're on to Laguna Seca for the next one. So we have a lot of internal looking I think we have to do to figure out um, what happened on this one and why we missed the mark compared to maybe some of the others. Um, but I think, you know, at this course of the season, everybody's mindset is changing as well. And that also plays into the results of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how how much can be attributed of that situation to the fact that you lost so much time in the early part of the weekend with a with another engine problem I'll talk about that in a in a moment but you lost a, a, again you know a, a couple of basically a couple of sessions of, of track time and that can't help it definitely doesn't help um there's no there's no question about that uh I'm also not going to say that I think had we had the the extra session that we necessarily would have been on pace. I just don't think we were quite there um, where we needed to be. I think what we would have had is a potential little bit better longevity balance-wise as opposed to outright speed, as that's been one of our strengths throughout the year. Um, So we would have had a little more opportunity to judge what the car was like on a long run and to be able to address that. But as it sat, we never got the ability to do any extended runs on a set of tires basically over 12 laps. So what was coming after 12 laps was a surprise to us. <laughs> and the balance on the car was was actually fairly reasonable. So like I said, I mean, I think we had maybe a tenth, maybe two tenths in outright speed and maybe the same over the duration. Um, but the duration obviously is much more uh, important, say, than, than that outright lap time. And um, we lacked in both of those areas this weekend. Uh, the the engine, that's the second time you've had an engine issue. Have the guys had the time uh, or even the headspace or the, even the motivation to actually track down what the problem was with the engine? You, you had to swap an engine at, at Lime Rock Park as well, went on to win 
at that event. Uh, that That's two of the big V10s that have given you some issues. It, I mean, it's got to be a cause for concern. And, and, and is it the same problem, do you know? It, it is a similar problem, yes. I mean, they both started in the valve, uh, in the valve train area. Uh, the one at... And I, you know, to be honest, I, I haven't gone completely into detail with engineering and management as, as to what the exact deal is, but I, I know they both started in, in the valves. Oh. Um, and I think it's, it's a situation where in Lime Rock, um, you know, we dropped a valve off throttle, um, you know, on lar- low RPM, and as soon as it happened, you could catch it and get the thing shut down and... and um, into the pits with, without, with fairly little drama. But in a place like VIR where you spend, say, 90% of your time at full throttle, that's obviously not, you know, the, the likelihood of that being the case is not. And so this time when it dropped the valve, we're going up through the S's at full throttle at, you know, high RPMs at the top of sixth gear. Um, and when it dropped it, it basically then internalized and, um, you know, shredded everything inside, blew a hole through the side of the engine, which was very reminiscent of what Magnus had earlier in the season at Detroit. The only difference is, is we were fortunate that it put a hole in the in the bottom of the engine and not out the side like they did, which is why they caught fire, and we were fortunate enough not to. Yes, yes. Uh, is that a worry for the, the rest of the season, then, in, in that case? Is, is it something that can be worked on? You mentioned Magnus. Or obviously, they run a, an Audi, but essentially, the 5.2-litre five, 5. V10, it's the, it's, the same, it's the same power unit, the same, the same engine. So that's got to put a little bit of a question mark and a bit of a worry at the back of your mind? I mean, it certainly does. And, and so you, the, the answer to your question is a little bit two-sided. I would say, yes, it definitely puts a worry in the back of your mind because if you're not thinking about it and not you know, trying your best to talk to people and get batch numbers and understand what's come through the engine and which pieces are in from what batches they're in and trying to get that all put together, then I don't think you're doing your you know, due diligence to try and make sure it doesn't happen again. Mm. But on the same perspective, we've been with Lamborghini for three years now, and I mean, knock on wood, these are the only two failures we've had. We've done three 24-hour races, three 12-hour races, three six-hour races, three 10-hour races, and not even had a blip on the radar of any sort of issue at all. So um, is it a concern? Yes, it's a concern. Um, is it a little bit out of the ordinary? Yes. So is it something to focus on? Probably not, but I think it's certainly now we will be prepared um, the best we can uh, to, to make sure that this doesn't happen. I mean, there. I'm sure that um, the engines will go on the, the dyno a bit longer this time because yeah. both of them have happened very early in opening runs, so we'll make sure we put a little more hours um on the motor on the dyno um to see how they respond maybe maybe put a little bit heavier load on them some some things like that to see if we can get any sort of indication before we go to the racetrack so there are definitely some procedures going into play to to try and minimize the opportunity for something like this to happen again um going back to the race weekend itself um bit of an interesting one between you and pat long he started off by comparing you to a velociraptor what was it what was it he said small (laughs) what what was it he said the velociraptor is the one he's scared the most of because 
they're small and aggressive, just like Brian Sellers. That's I right. believe was his exact comment. Not that I remember it exactly, but no. In I fairness, he did say he did also say very fast, small, fast, and aggressive, yeah. just like Brian Sellers. Yeah. Um, so I yeah. mean, that was uh, that was a bit rich coming from uh, from him as well, because uh, he's he's been known to be quick as well, and he was this weekend. And in some ways, he might have done you and Madison Snow's championship hopes uh, a bit of a favour because uh, he put a lot of pressure on Catherine Legg at the end. Catherine had closed in on Dominic Bauman in the in the Lexus, who was uh, clearly struggling for a, b- a bit of rear-end grip. And I, I have to say, I thought Catherine had the race until Pat started putting a bit of pressure on and, in fact, actually got up into second place. So took a few points from your major championship rival. So, I don't know, do you call him up and give him a hard time for the Velociraptor gag or do you call him up and tell him you're going to buy him a glass of wine the next time you see him? I asked him what kind of beer he wanted to send me, and he said, "He said, what are you talking about? I was going for a race win." So, <laughs> um, you know, Pat. Uh, Pat is all, n- none of those. None of those people. Not just them, but anybody in the series is unaware of what's happening. I mean, Pat is very keen and has done this a long time. Has been in a lot of positions where he's been leading championships and when he's been behind in championships and knows what's at stake. And same thing with Catherine and same thing with uh, the So they were all in a position where they knew um, Catherine included that the risk for reward was in in uh, David's favor and as well as Pat's favor. And I'm sure Catherine knew the same thing where she knew we were not in good position. And I'm sure the team was telling her take points. Um, and as soon as Pat showed his nose, he knew that she really had no choice but to yeah. to let him go. I think and so. It was a it's a smart move on everybody's part, right? It's smart for her to let him buy because they took a ton of points out of us, and it's smart for him to to try and press the issue because he knows he has nothing to lose in this yeah. position. And you know, a second is without doubt, um, you know, better than finishing third. And, and you know, they've had a really good last two races, but mm-hmm. strong showing for the last four, I would say. So, um, man, they they've been tough. I mean, there's, there's an irony as well because the the news that came out on Tuesday um, concerning uh, your driving for or some of your driving for next year also concerns Catherine Legg, your biggest championship contender in the GTD Daytona category of of the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, and from battling with Cat for a, a championship, you're going to end up as as teammates, albeit not in the same car next year. Tell me a little bit about this electric production car racing that you're getting involved with. How's that come about, Brian? Um, it was actually, it was a pretty quick deal. Uh, I was lucky enough to receive some interest from Bobby. Uh, Bobby Rahal, yeah. Yep, and, and um, we had a, a quick conversation and he said, hey, this is a new deal they're putting together. Are you interested in it? And you know, for me, it was a it was a very easy, um, a very easy decision. I mean, I grew up an Ohio kid, and um, you know, for those of you who don't know, Bobby is from Ohio. Uh, his team's based in Ohio, and you know, he's 
his program, his teams, his reputation is, is a little bit legendary, especially when you're an Ohio born kid. And, you know, I grew up, um, the first race car name I knew in my household was Ray Hall, not Andretti. Nice. Uh, so it, it's pretty, it's pretty cool to finally be able to be a part of his program. We've known each other for a long time. Um, have almost worked together in the past on multiple occasions, but, but never really been the right opportunity. So I'm very excited to be a part of, um, you know Jaguar's whole new um, electric initiative, and I think it's it, it should be pretty cool. I mean, obviously, uh, it, it follows um, it follows uh, Formula E around, and some really great cities that we get to visit and get to race in. And I, for me, that was one of the most attractive parts to it all is to be able to travel the world and race in a bunch of new places on street courses and in what could potentially be. Um, the way that the future of racing is heading. Bobby Rahal reunited with Jaguar, of course, had a, a history with uh, Jaguar in the UK when he came over to uh, to run the team for, for a little while. These I-Pace cars um, are based on the street car with obviously the right safety uh, equipment put into it. Now, I- I'm told by all my friends in the automotive sector, uh, that my automotive journalist friends, that... Uh, this is the electric car, the I-Pace, that Jaguar haven't just built a good electric car. It's an outstanding car that just happens to be electric. Is it going to make a good race car? And when are you going to get behind the wheel of it? They're doing some initial shakedowns um, at the end of September um, in the UK, actually, at Silverstone. Um, and I think I think that from my understanding um, and this has been a very quick turnaround for me. So I'm trying to learn as much as I can as we go in all, in all honesty, but this is a big deal for Jaguar. Yeah. Um, in, in, I don't mean that in, in terms of trying to be obvious about it, but they're investing a lot into this. And, and for them, I believe this is how they see not only racing, but, but obviously the future of road cars going. So, um, I think when you look at it, when racing is successful for manufacturers, it comes back to situations like, uh, I mean, probably the, the, the biggest for me is Audi and what they did with their racing programs, their LMP1 programs, and how their street sales increased because of what were they were able to learn and put into production into their street cars. And certainly that's, um, that's going to be Jaguars in game also, is to take a car – that I think people of certain age groups would, would view as an electric car um, and change their perspective and do something um, that really hasn't been done in a sedan before. And I think, you know, that, that you've seen that same thing take place um, with Formula E. In the beginning, I think people kind of rolled their eyes about this series that was coming in and racing electric cars, and then all of a sudden – you saw it grow and transform and you're seeing the manufacturers come into it and top flight drivers and everything else. And now it's, um, it it is without doubt a a very credible, uh, I don't know what else to say, but very credible racing series. And I think Jaguar is looking at it that way. Uh, You got a couple of good people involved in it. Marion Barnaby, um, good friend 
to us here at RSL down through the years. Formerly used to look after the uh, Carrera Cup GB and uh, did a great job there. And James Barkley, of course, who's the uh, head of racing at uh, Jaguar, who uh, is also a good friend of us, was formerly at Bentley as well, so he knows prestige British marks as well. But you've got to learn to say Jaguar. Jag-U-R. <laughs> I'm going to have to sit and look at you at the next race and watch how your mouth moves to make <laughs> that happen. Remember, I'm, I just live in the south of the United States right now, so that's a little bit harder for me. There, there, there used to be an old, uh, an old uh, saying about uh, trying to... Uh, do vocal exercises um, and one of them you know you, you, you've seen the, the, the old movies My Fair Lady and stuff like that the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plane uh, in very <laughs> clipped English tones well the other one is my father's car's a Jaguar uh, so that we're going to have to get Gonna have to get you working. Gonna have to get you working on that, uh, Brian. Listen, mate. Great stuff at the weekend. Smart driving by both you and uh, by Madison. And we're off to um, WeatherTech Risk where Laguna Seca next. Uh, is that going to be a happy hunting ground for the Lamborghini? Um, I've given up trying to predict. <laughs> to be honest with you, because uh, Road America was supposed to be our worst event, and we were fortunate enough to finish second. VIR was supposed to be one of our best events and we ended up you know towards the back so i don't know i don't know where we're going to stack up i don't know where we're going to be but i know that we're going to go in fighting and i think that you know that's the way we've approached this whole deal and and that's not going to change so i i hope i hope it's a good one i hope we're strong i hope we can take the fight not not you know just for the championship but for race wins and um We'll see when we get there after a couple sessions. Yeah, that's been the beauty of the, the GTD category. It has been somewhat unpredictable. Thank you, Brian. And Brian gone? Yeah, already gone. Okay. Uh, Brian Sellers joining us there on the telephone. And you'll be able to hear that event and everything Brian was talking about there uh, from uh, IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship over on RS2, the final two races of the season. Right, let's squeeze in a few other stories. We'll start with Rally News. Thank goodness Tim's not around. Uh, Sorry, Nick's not around. Uh, Rally Japan coming back to World Rally Championship in 2019. Always assuming that that is signed off by the World Motorsport Council. It's been a while since uh, Japan was in the World Rally Championship uh, going back, what, eight years, 2010, well, it'll be nine years, won't it, uh, by the time it gets there. And the big difference when it returns, providing it's signed off, as we said, uh, will it, that it will be on the big island. It'll be on the main island of Honshu, previously up uh, on the northernmost island, Hokkaido. Uh, and what we're hearing from the organisers is that they are hoping to, or they have indeed, proposed a route up by Mount Fuji, which is, I guess, a couple of hours from, I suppose, sorry, a couple of hours from main centres of population uh, downtown Tokyo, which is uh, fantastic stuff. Um, And uh, not the only event, Japan, uh, 14 rounds for 2019 in WRC. Did I say WEC there? I might have. Uh, Chile has already made initial payments to the WRC series stakeholders, so I expect to see them 
or that event in the championships are probably going to drop a European event to make room for the two additional long-haul rounds. Uh, Tour of Corsica was rumoured, but apparently uh, that now safe, uh, probably, and this is interesting considering what we talked about earlier, about a German WEC round uh, not being perhaps viable because of finance, uh, Rally Germany under jeopardy, in jeopardy rather, under threat um, in next year's WRC, World Rally Championship. Shame because I quite like Rally Germany actually through the vineyards. It's pretty good, uh, isn't it? Uh, Keep our eye on that one. Uh, Got some TCR news for you as well. Remember last month, I think we talked about a bit of a nightmare for Hyundai at Slovakia ring in the World Touring car round, the WTCR round. The ECU in all four of the Hyundais uh, were taken away. They were excluded from qualifying for boost issues, although actually the parts were compliant. Currently, TCR rules globally allow a free ECU choice, but, uh, and I quote, manipulation, modification or disconnection of an ECU sensor is not allowed in accordance with uh, their technical regulation. And it also says you can't uh, mess about with the software. Software and all data sets are frozen and may not be overwritten. So, to uh, I suppose just to underline that, the WSC group, too many W and Cs with different letters in the middle of this particular segment, uh, WSC are the people behind the touring car concept And they've said they are going to put out a supply tender for a common ECU. It'll close on the 17th of September and the announcement will come at the end of the month. Remarkably, around about 700 cars have been built to TCR regulations since 2014. And what WSC have said, uh, whoever wins the tender will be required to develop, produce and deliver the common TCR ECU together with its data logging system in a quantity sufficient to equip all the TCR cars competing in all TCR series, championship, cups and classes for the racing seasons from 2020 till 2023. That's what it says on the tender document. And the interesting thing about that is that means that the current set of FIA World Touring Car Cup regulations um, that they run with Eurosport events and the WSC. Um, they run till the 2019, so nothing happening in the current set of regulations. This is from 2020 onwards. And I think finally, what we've got time for is a little bit of two-wheel news. Should have got this when Nick was here, but he had to dash away. Uh, a change of rider for KTM at Silverstone. Paul Spargaro, uh, uh not fit enough after coming off at the Czech Grand Prix, collarbone and back injuries. Uh, so I expected Mika Callio, but of course he's out for the rest of the season as well. So Randy Dupunier, Randy Dupunier, that's who's going to be on the bike. No, it's not because he's testing the RC16 and he doesn't want to race before he does that. So uh, the man who was in MotoGP until last year when he went off to World Superbike to join Gulf Athea BMW Racing is 
back, and that's Loris Baz. Uh, the Frenchman, as you might remember, was three years in MotoGP before he uh, went back to World Superbike, so he's bouncing a bit uh, backwards and forwards. However, coming to Northamptonshire might not be the worst thing. The only two World Superbike wins that uh, Loris uh, managed to... Uh, achieved so far, has managed to achieve so far. 2012 race one, 2013 race two, and they were both at Silverstone. Loris quoted as saying, Paul was hoping to ride, but his recovery still needs a bit of time. I wish him a speedy recovery. Uh, apparently, he only found out about this on Monday of this week, and he says, I'd like to thank Genesio Belvacqua. Great name, Belvacqua. Uh, from Team Althea BMW Racing to release him to race. Uh, this is an official team, says Loris. Uh, I'm going to do my best best to help the team in Paul's absence. And as he says, as far as I'm concerned, there's no better way to prepare myself for the m- remainder of the uh, of the World Superbike season. And that then is about all we've got time for, unless you're going to surprise me with uh, a late I'm item. I'm going to surprise you with a late item. Go on then. There's been some. Uh, there's been an auction in NASCAR. Oh really? Yeah, BK Racing has been uh, sold to Furniture Row. Right. Uh, for just over two million dollars. Right. Uh, however, the judge who was running the auction uh, thinks he can get a better price and might rerun it. Right. This is a story that will run and run. Potentially. Okay. And I, I suspect that it'll be the basis of one of your fiendish Tim Gray competitions on an episode of Midweek Motorsport in the future. Possibly. Mm. But that really is a week what time for tonight. Thanks to all our guests uh, from various parts of the globe this evening. And uh, no live sport this weekend. We gave you so much last weekend. But plenty of time to catch up then on all of the archive. And every single moment that we broadcast over the weekend is up on the archive and has been uh, since either late Sunday night or early Monday morning thanks to Tim and his team up in London. There's no time to explain. The Llama is going for a lie down. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.